loving, most holy God. We ask this day that the light of your wisdom illumine the darkness and confusion that surrounds us and that is within us. Amen. <clears throat> well, friends, this is my final sermon in this fine, fine pulpit. And as payback for what I am not entirely sure, the stars have aligned so that the lectionary has us reading this particular gospel passage today. An altogether bewildering passage. The head scratcher to end all head scratchers. Joshua, I'm looking at you because I think you might have did this on purpose. <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding. Right, thank you. Um, no, seriously, we just heard Jesus say some crazy stuff. And the appropriate response, at least to my ears, is like, what? Did Jesus just say what I think Jesus just said? So, and like, yeah, sure, Jesus sticks the landing, right? You can't serve God and wealth, the final verses, yet that makes sense. That's clear. Still challenging, but is in line with the Jesus we have come to know, the Jesus we have come to expect and love. But what about this other Jesus? The one in verses 1 through 9. Do we just act like we didn't hear Jesus say that stuff? Do we just gloss over it? To be honest, that was 100% what I had intended to do to keep the focus on the last couple of verses with their clarity and profundity obvious for all those paying attention. And I would have totally been in my rights to do just that. Long ago, at some point, there's some scholars who believe that these final verses are later additions to the text. And so the parable stood by itself and someone along the line was like, well, this makes no sense. Let's, let's give this tidy ending that will function as a clarifying lens to make sense of what Jesus is saying in this parable. I am grateful to the gospel writers who have done stuff like this, who have worked carefully and faithfully to give us guide points and keys for sense-making both in scripture and in life. But for today's journey, I'd like us to imagine that they didn't clean it up for us. Let's pretend that we were not given this tidy legend. How does that shape our interpretation of this frankly crazy story? What could we find? We might find nothing. Matt Skinner, a New Testament professor and contributor to a lectionary podcast, said about this week's gospel text, perhaps this is a parable not to be explained, but experienced. Maybe it is just meant to be heard. And so with his words ringing in my ears, I went on a journey to experience this parable before trying to find a way to explain it, without needing it to make sense to me. And what I found was a relatable, relevant, very human Jesus that I didn't know was waiting there. 
Now, a little Bible 101, like basic, basic. The Bible wasn't written with our notion of chapters and verses in mind. Something that seems obvious, but actually changes the game when you read it. The gospel was just written as continuous prose. So the first person to attempt to put the New Testament into verses was a Dominican biblical scholar from Italy, Santis Bagnino, sometime in the late 15th, early 16th century. So for the majority of Christian history, people typically did not read or hear this particularly perplexing parable. Say that three times fast. As a standalone without hearing the parables that preceded it. So with this in mind, I read this block of parables as one continuous story, more in line with how it was written, how the early hearers would have heard it. The result for me was moving, really, and insightful and fun. And so for your enjoyment, I'd like to try to recreate that right now. You guys game? No, I'm not going to read two chapters of scripture in the middle of my sermon. So you just work with me. Imagine, if you will, that we are all in one giant circle sitting around a roaring fire. When I pull out a scroll and begin to read aloud some of Jesus's parables, you might be surprised to hear that today the parables on deck include the most beloved, the most well-known of the Christian parables. I begin by sharing the parable of the lost sheep. You hear Jesus ask, which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? You hear the familiar rejoicing. And in that moment, we begin the next parable with its own question. What woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin I lost. This parable is followed by the most beloved story of them all, the prodigal son where the disgraced son returns to his father to beg to be an enslaved person in his household, only to be met by this, the father running and shouting to him, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. With hearts swelling with gratitude, love, and in awe of the magnificent depth, height, and width of God's love depicted in the parables, we as a collective group take a giant breath. And then the reader's tone of voice shifts. The Gospels say that Jesus has moved to a new audience. He is now with his closest friends. And he tells this particularly crazy parable 
not to the longing lost masses, not to the tax collectors and the sinners. He tells this story to his closest, dearest friends. And it is in the comfort of his intimate circle of friends that Jesus tells this parable about the dishonest manager who finds a way to ensure his comfort and survival. What gives? How have we gone from the prodigal son to this in mere seconds? What changed? Not much and everything at the exact same time. In this changed setting, Jesus is able to let his guard down. He's no longer speaking to the hurt, lost, and longing masses. He's with his buddies, letting out jokes. Come on, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. Like, that's funny. It's the funniest line of all the Gospels and it's Jesus saying it. And his buddies, guess what? They probably needed to hear this different Jesus with a different message. A parable among friends where the master is not far off and fearsome, but has an appreciation for the scrappiness that the human experience demands sometimes. This parable was a gift for his friends. Now the question remains, could it be a gift again for us? Let's look. The master accepts being defrauded, approves of it even. The dishonest manager isn't condemned, not by the master, and as far as I can tell, not by Jesus either. What's going on? Nothing about this makes any sense until you realize it's Jesus we're talking about. And Jesus is being the same Jesus we know and love, but more raw, less polished, less guarded. In telling this parable, Jesus is repeating what he said countless times. He's not actually that concerned about masters holding on to their wealth. Furthermore, Jesus isn't going to waste his time or storytelling powers to defend rules that bolster power and privilege. So on closer inspection, this parable makes perfect sense coming from Jesus to his closest friends. This is a parable dealing with the game of life. And Jesus is about to leave his friends to play the game while he leaves. Jesus doesn't make a commentary here on whether the game is bad or good. The game just is. We're all forced to play this game in one way or another. And Jesus lets it hang there. But before that, Jesus was the one who named this for what it was, a game with questionable rules. Jesus gave encouragement and instructions to play the game for the good of the many over the good of the few. And Jesus called out the nature of the game and demanded we behave and play to a higher standard. 
But Jesus never once defended the game entirely. If Jesus were to tell this parable, as, as we would expect, in such a way that defended the master's wealth and condemned the manager, it would be to defend the rules of this unjust game we're forced to play. And that's just something Jesus is not going to do. The manager we expect to find in this parable isn't here because Jesus didn't want him here. Friends, we just all listened to all the parables that preceded this. We have heard God depicted as a devoted shepherd, as a relentless woman, and as a selfless father. How did we so quickly come to expect God to behave in a traditional role as master when Jesus had just explained all the ways God is not like the master we think is missing from the, this parable? That's good. In this perplexing parable, the window has been cracked. Fresh air is brooding, brooding all over us. Jesus names the game. Now, I'm not sure I've explained this parable, but to be clear, I didn't set out to do that. I just wanted to experience it with you all one last time. Amen.